Section two of the Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume Two, edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Pericles Rules in Athens, B.C. 444, by Plutarch, Part 1. Section 2. Pericles Rules in Athens, B.C. 444, by Plutarch, Part 1. Under the sway of Pericles, many changes occurred in the civil affairs of Athens affecting the constitution of the state and the character and administration of its laws. Events of magnitude marked the struggles of the Athenians with other powers. The development of art and learning was carried to an unprecedented height, and the age of Pericles is the most illustrious in ancient history. Pericles began his career by opposing the aristocratic party of Athens, led by Simon. In this policy, he was aided by complications arising with Sparta and Argos. Directing his attack particularly against the Areopagus, he succeeded in greatly modifying the composition of that body and diminishing its powers. The exile of Simon, the strengthening of Athens by new alliances, and the vigorous prosecution of wars against Persia and Corinth combined to establish his supremacy, which was still further confirmed by the building of the long walls connecting Athens with the sea and by the acquisition of neighboring territory. A favorable convention was concluded with Persia, Athens resumed a state of general peace, and Pericles found himself at the head of a powerful empire formed out of a confederacy previously existing. The strength of this empire was indeed soon impaired by ill-judged military movements, against the advice of Pericles himself, but during six years of peace which followed, he succeeded in perfecting a state whose preeminence in intellectual, political, and artistic development has no rival. In the later wars of Athens, the renown of Pericles was still further enhanced, but his chief glory arose from the architectural adornment of the city, and especially from the building of the Parthenon and the splendid decoration of the Acropolis. While his work of judicial reform remains an added monument to his fame, and among the masters of eloquence his orations preserve for him a foremost place. Pericles was of the tribe Acamantus, and of the township of Cholargos, and was descended from the noblest families in Athens on both his father's and mother's side. His father, Xanthippus, defeated the Persian generals at Mycale, while his mother, Argaristi, was a descendant of Clisthenes, who drove the sons of Pisitratus out of Athens, put an end to their despotic rule, and established a new constitution admirably calculated to reconcile all parties and save the country. She dreamed that she had brought forth a lion, and a few days afterward was delivered of Pericles. His body was symmetrical, but his head was long, out of all proportion, for which reason, in nearly all his statues, he is represented wearing a helmet, as the sculptures did not wish, I suppose, to reproach him with this blemish. The Attic poets called him Squillhead, and the comic poet Cratinus, in his play Chirones, says, from Cronos old in faction is sprung a tyrant dread, 
and all olympus calls him the man compelling head and again in the play of nemesis come hospitable zeus with lofty head telecleides too speaks of him as sitting bow down with a dreadful frown because matters of state have gone wrong until at last from his head so vast his ideas burst forth in a throng and eupolis in his play of demoi asking questions about each of the great orators as they come up from the other world one after the other when at last pericles ascends says the great headpiece of those below most writers tell us that his tutor in music was damon whose name they say should be pronounced with the first syllable short aristotle however says that he studied under pythocleides this damon it seems was a sophist of the highest order who used the name of music to conceal this accomplishment from the world but who really trained pericles for his political contests just as a trainer prepares an athlete for the games however damon's use of music as a pretext did not impose upon the athenians who banished him by ostracism as a busybody and lover of despotism pericles greatly admired anaxagoras and became deeply interested in grand speculations which gave him a haughty spirit and a lofty style of oratory far removed from vulgarity and low buffoonery and also an imperturbable gravity of countenance and a calmness of demeanour and appearance which no incident could disturb as he was speaking while the tone of his voice never showed that he heeded any interruption these advantages greatly impressed the people the poet ion however says that pericles was overbearing and insolent in conversation and that his pride had in it a great deal of contempt for others while he praises simon's civil sensible and polished address but we may disregard ion as a mere dramatic poet who always sees in great men something upon which to exercise his satiric vein whereas zeno used to invite those who called the haughtiness of pericles a mere courting of popularity and affectation of grandeur to court popularity themselves in the same fashion since the acting of such a part might insensibly mould their dispositions until they resembled that of their model pericles when young greatly feared the people he had a certain personal likeness to the despot pisistratus and as his own voice was sweet and he was ready and fluent in speech old men who had known Pisitratus were struck by his resemblance to him he was also rich of noble birth and had powerful friends so that he feared he might be banished by ostracism and consequently held aloof from politics but proved himself a brave and daring soldier in wars but when aristides was dead themistocles banished and simon generally absent on distant campaigns pericles engaged in public affairs taking the popular side that of the poor and many against that of the rich and few quite contrary to his own feelings which were entirely aristocratic he feared it seems that he might be suspected of a design to make himself despot and seeing that simon took the side of the nobility and was much beloved by them he betook himself to the people as a means of obtaining safety for himself and a strong party to combat that of simon he immediately altered his mode of life was never seen in any street except that which led to the market-place and the national assembly and declined all invitations to dinner and such like social gatherings but pericles feared to make himself too common even with the people and only addressed them after long intervals not speaking upon every subject and not constantly addressing them but as critolaus says keeping himself like the salaminian trireme for great crises and allowing his friends and the other orators to manage matters of less moment 
wishing to adopt a style of speaking consonant with his haughty manner and lofty spirit pericles made free use of the instrument which anaxagoras as it were put into his hand and often tinged his oratory with natural philosophy he far surpassed all others by using this lofty intelligence and power of universal consummation as the divine plato calls it in addition to his natural advantages adorning his oratory with apt illustrations drawn from physical science for this reason some think that he was nicknamed the olympian though some refer this to his improvement of the city by new and beautiful buildings and others from his power both as a politician and general it is not by any means unlikely that these causes all combined to produce the name pericles was very cautious about his words and whenever he ascended the tribune to speak used first to pray to the gods that nothing unfitted for the present occasion might fall from his lips he left no writings except the measures which he brought forward and very few of his sayings are recorded thucydides represents the constitution under pericles as a democracy in name but really an aristocracy because the government was all in the hands of one leading citizen but as many other writers tell us that during his administration the people received grants of land abroad and were indulged with dramatic entertainments in payments for their services in consequence of which they fell into bad habits and became extravagant and licentious instead of sober hard-working people as they had been before let us consider the history of this change viewing it by the light of the facts themselves first of all pericles had to measure himself with simon and to transfer the affections of the people from simon to himself as he was not so rich a man as simon who used from his own ample means to give a dinner daily to any poor athenian who required it clothe aged persons and take away the fences round his property so that any one might gather the fruit pericles unable to vie with him in this turned his attention to a distribution of the public funds among the people at the suggestion we are told by aristotle of demonides of oia by the money paid for public spectacles for citizens acting as jurymen and other paid offices and largesses he soon won over the people to his side so that he was able to use them in his attack upon the senate of the areopagus of which he himself was now to member never having been chosen archon or thesmothet or king archon or polymarch these offices had from ancient times been obtained by lot and it was only through them that those who had approved themselves in the discharge of them were advanced to Areopagus. for this reason it was that pericles when he gained strength with the populace destroyed this senate making a fieltes bring forward a bill which restricted its judicial powers while he himself succeeded in getting simon banished by ostracism as a friend of sparta and a hater of the people although he was second to no athenian in birth or fortune and won most brilliant victories over the persians and had filled athens with plunder and spoils of war so great was the power of pericles with the common people one of the provisions of ostracism was that the person banished should remain in exile for ten years but during this period the lacedaemonians with a great force invaded the territory of tanagra and as the athenians at once marched out to attack them Sivan came back from exile, took his place in full armor among the ranks of his own tribe, and hoped by distinguishing himself in the battle among his fellow citizens to prove the falsehood of the Laconian sympathies with which he had been charged. However, the friends of Pericles drove him away as an exile. On the other hand, Pericles fought more bravely in that battle than he had ever fought before, and surpassed everyone in reckless daring. The friends of Simon also, whom Pericles had accused of Laconian leanings, now that they had lost a great battle on the frontier and expected to be hard-pressed during the summer by the Lacedaemonians. 
Pericles, perceiving this, lost no time in gratifying the popular wish, but himself proposed a decree for his recall, and Simon on his return reconciled the two states, for he was on familiar terms with the Spartans, who were hated by Pericles and the other leaders of the common people. Some say that, before Simon's recall by Pericles, a secret compact was made by him by Elpiniki, Simon's sister, that Simon was to proceed on foreign service against the Persians with a fleet of two hundred ships, while Pericles was to retain his power in the city. It is also said that when Simon was being tried for his life, Elpiniki softened the resentment of Pericles, who was one of those appointed to impeach him. When Elpinike came to beg her brother's life of him, he answered with a smile, Elpinike, you are too old to meddle in affairs of this sort. But for all that, he spoke only once, for form's sake, and pressed Simon less than any of his other prosecutors. How, then, can one put any faith in Idomeneus, when he accused Pericles of procuring the assassination of his friend and colleague Ephialtes, because he was jealous of his reputation? This seems an ignoble calumny which Idomeneus has drawn from some obscure source to fling at a man who, no doubt, was not faultless, but of a generous spirit and noble mind, and capable of entertaining so savage and brutal a design. Ephialtes was disliked and feared by the nobles, and was inexorable in punishing those who wronged the people. Wherefore, his enemies had him assassinated by the means of Aristicus of Tanagra. This we are told by Aristotle. Simon died in Cyprus, while in command of the Athenian forces. The nobles now perceived that Pericles was the most important man in the state, and far more powerful than any other citizen. Wherefore, as they still hoped to check his authority, and not allow him to be omnipotent, they set up Thucydides of the township of Allopechai as his rival, a man of good sense and a relative of Simon, but less of a warrior and more of a politician, who, by watching his opportunities and opposing Pericles in debate, soon brought about a balance of power. He did not allow the nobles to mix themselves up with the people and the public assembly, as they had been wont to do, so that their dignity was lost among the masses. But he collected them into a separate body, and by thus concentrating their strength, was able to use it to counterbalance that of the other party. From the beginning, these two factions had been but imperfectly welded together, because their tendencies were different. But now the struggle for power between Pericles and Thucydides drew a sharp line of demarcation between them, and one was called the party of the many, the other that of the few. Pericles now courted the people in every way, constantly arranging public spectacles, festivals, and processions in the city, by which he educated the Athenians to take pleasure in refined amusements, and also he sent out sixty triremes to cruise every year, in which many of the people served for hire for eight months, learning and practicing seamanship. Besides this, he sent a thousand settlers to the Chersonesi, five hundred to Naxos, half as many to Andros, a thousand to dwell among the Thracian tribe of the Bisaltai, and the others to the new colony in Italy founded by the city of Sybaris, which was named Thuri. By this means, he relieved the state of numerous idle agitators, assisted the necessitous, and overawed the allies of Athens by placing his colonists near them to watch their behavior. The building of the temples by which Athens was adorned, the people delighted, and the rest of the world astonished, and which now alone proved that the tales of the ancient power and glory of Greece are no fables, was what particularly excited the spleen of the opposite faction, who inveighed against him in the public assembly, declaring that the Athenians had disgraced themselves by transferring the common treasury of the Greeks from the island of Delos to their own custody. 
Pericles himself, they urged, has taken away the only possible excuse for such an act, the fear that it might be exposed to the attacks of the Persians when at Delos, whereas it would be safe at Athens. Greece has been outraged and feels itself openly tyrannized over when it sees us using the funds which we exhorted from it for the war against the Persians, for gilding and beautifying our city as if it were a vain woman, and adorning it with precious marbles and statues and temples worth a thousand talents. To this Pericles replied that the allies had no right to consider how their money was spent, so long as Athens defended them from the Persians while they supplied neither horses ships nor men but merely money which the athenians had a right to spend as they pleased provided they afforded him that security which it purchased it was right he argued that after the city had provided all that was necessary for war it should devote its surplus money to the erection of buildings which would be a glory to it for all ages while these works would create plenty by leaving no man unemployed and encouraging all sorts of handicraft so that nearly the whole city would earn wages and thus derive both its beauty and its profit from itself for those who were in the flower of their age military service offered a means of earning money from the common stock while as he did not wish the mechanics and lower classes to be without their share nor yet to see them receive it without doing work for it he had laid the foundations of great edifices which would require industries of every kind to complete them and he had done this in the interests of the lower classes who thus although they remained at home would have just as good a claim to their share of the public funds as those who were serving at sea and garrison or in the field the different materials used such as stone brass ivory gold ebony cypress wood and so forth would require special artisans for each such as carpenters modellers smiths stonemasons dyers melters and moulders of gold and ivory painters embroiderers workers in relief and also men to bring them to the city such as sailors and captains of ships and pilots for such as came by sea and for those who came by land carriage builders horse breeders drivers rope makers linen manufacturers shoemakers road menders and miners each trade moreover employed a number of unskilled laborers so that in a word there would be work for persons of every age and every class and general prosperity would be the result these buildings were of immense size and unequalled in beauty and grace as the workmen endeavor to make the execution surpass the design and beauty but what was most remarkable was the speed with which they were built all these edifices each of which one would have thought it would have taken many generations to complete were all finished during the most brilliant period of one man's administration in beauty each of them at once appeared venerable as soon as it was built but even at the present day the work looks as fresh as ever for they bloom with an eternal freshness which defies time and seems to make the work instinct with an unfading spirit of youth the overseer and manager of the whole was phidias although there were other excellent architects and workmen such as calacrates and ictinus who built the parthenon on the side of the old hecatompedon which had been destroyed by the persians and Coriobus, who built the temple of initiation at eleusis but who only lived to see the columns erected and the architraves placed upon them on his death metagenes of xipite added the frieze in the upper row of columns and xenocles of cholargos crowned it with the domed roof over the shrine as to the long wall about which socrates says that he heard pericles bring forward a motion callicrates undertook to build it 
the odium which internally consisted of many rows of seats and many columns and externally of a roof sloping on all sides from a central point was said to have been built in imitation of the king of persia's tent and was built under pericles's direction the propylaea before the acropolis were finished in five years by menisocles the architect and a miraculous incident during the work seemed to show that the goddess did not disapprove but rather encouraged and assisted the building the most energetic and active of the workmen fell from a great height and lay in a dangerous condition given over by his doctors pericles grieved much for him but the goddess appeared to him in a dream and suggested a course of treatment by which pericles quickly healed the workmen in consequence of this he set up the brazen statue of athene the healer near the old altar in the acropolis the golden statue of the goddess was made by Phidias, and his name appears upon the basement in the inscription almost everything was in his hands and he gave his orders to all the workmen as has been said before because of his friendship with pericles when the speakers of thucydides party complained that pericles had wasted the public money and destroyed the revenue he asked the people in the assembly whether they thought he had spent much when they answered very much indeed he said in reply do not then put it down to the public account but to mine and i will inscribe my name upon all the public buildings when pericles said this the people either in admiration of his magnificence of manner or being eager to bear their share in the glory of the new buildings shouted to him with one accord to take what money he pleased from the treasury and spend it as he pleased without stint and finally he underwent the trial of ostracism with thucydides and not only succeeded in driving him into exile but broke up his party as now there was no opposition to encounter in the city and all parties had been blended into one pericles undertook the sole administration of the home and foreign affairs of athens dealing with the public revenue the army the navy the islands and maritime affairs and the great sources of strength which athens derived from her alliances as well as with greek as with foreign princes and states henceforth he became quite a different man he no longer gave way to the people and ceased to watch the breath of the popular favor but he changed the loose and licentious democracy which had hitherto existed into a stricter aristocratic or rather monarchical form of government this he used honorably and unswervingly for the public benefit finding the people as a rule willing to second the measures which he explained to them to be necessary into which he asked their consent but occasionally having to use violence and to force them much against their will to do what was expedient like a physician dealing with some complicated disorder who at one time allows his patient innocent recreation and at another inflicts upon him sharp pains and bitter though salutary draughts every possible kind of disorder was to be found among a people possessing so great an empire as the athenians and he alone was able to bring them into harmony by playing alternately upon their hopes and fears checking them when overconfident and raising their spirits when they were cast down and disheartened thus as plato says he was able to prove that oratory is the art of influencing men's minds and to use it in its highest application when it deals with men's passions and characters which like certain strings of a musical instrument require a skilful and delicate touch the secret of his power is to be found however as thucydides says not so much in his mere oratory as in his pure and blameless life because he was so well known to be incorruptible and indifferent to money 
for though he made the city which was a great one into the greatest and richest city of greece and though he himself became more powerful than many independent sovereigns who were able to leave their kingdoms to their sons yet pericles did not increase by one single drachma the estate which he received from his father for forty years he held the first place among such men as ephialtes leocrates Meronides, simon Tolmides and Thucydides, and, after the fall and banishment of Thucydides by ostracism, he united in himself for five and twenty years all the various offices of state, which were supposed to last only for one year, and yet during the whole of that period proved himself incorruptible by bribes. End of section two.